Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, October 28th. Happy almost Halloween. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me in the college basketball season. Tips exactly two weeks from today. Can't wait for that. I'm going to be at the Veterans Classic for the third straight year. It's always cool to visit the United States uh, Naval Academy. The doubleheader there is going to be Marquette Vanderbilt, followed by Ohio State Navy. So that should be fun. In the meantime, uh, we got a lot of preseason content up at CBSSports.com this week right now, including, I think most notably, our ranking of the top 101 college basketball players in the country. Duke's Grayson Allen was number one. Ohio State's uh, Jayshon Tate was number 101. 99 players in between them. And the first thing I want to ask you, Matt Norlander, is this. I had Josh Hart number three on my list. I think I had Grayson Allen, Markel Fultz, and then Josh Hart number three. You had him 18th initially. So we ended up 13th in our rankings, and Villanova fans think we're stupid. But really, and I can't stress this enough, Villanova fans, you really just think Matt Norlander is stupid. So would you like to explain to uh, the fans of the reigning national champions why you think there are 17 better college basketball players than the Big East Player of the Year, who is the best player on a team that's preseason top five and also a first-team All-American to most. Explain yourself, Matt Norlander. Did I have him as low as 18, though? I went back and double-checked. You double-checked it? It was 18? Well, if I got him three, how did we get all the way to 13 before we we get to him? I went and looked, and the way we did this for people who don't understand, uh, because why would you? You weren't in our email chain. We basically, like, I list 10 players, Norlander uh, lists 10 players. We compare those lists. Anybody who is on both of our lists, they get ranked accordingly. And then we got, and anybody who I only voted for or he only voted for, they go back into like a pile of, hey, what do you think about these guys in your next batch? And in your next batch, which was your second batch of players, um, you had him eighth on that list. So it wasn't necessarily 18, but it yeah, was. I don't think he was. I feel like he was like 14 or 15. But here's the deal. Okay, so I feel like we come, and this is. We Best come, player on the reigning national champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, I, can, let me explain myself here. I feel like we come at the list from two different perspectives. Because for me, it very purely is, you know, if you and me are playing a game of pickup basketball and we're both captains, which is amazing, all right? And we you, have don't the want entire, the, you don't want that. The entire roster of every Division One college basketball player to us, and we're just simply picking, you pick that guy, I pick that guy, you pick that guy. I purely make my list from who I think would be the best player to add in that setting. And in that setting, I consider Grayson Allen, Markel Fultz, Dylan Brooks, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, Harry Giles. I consider all these players. Hey, any other players with multiple knee surgeries who haven't competed in over a year you want to put ahead of the best player on the reigning national put, champions? I would I would take here's and here's the other thing is I another way to look at it is if there was, you know, a start your program college basketball draft right now, where would Hart go? Would be would he be a top three player? I, I don't necessarily know if that would be the case, but there's a difference between that and a player's inherent value. Now, I will also say this, and I said it, I had to shoot a video for this. I could see, so we have Hart 13, and on the video I said I could see any of the top 15 players on our list, and so that ends at De'Aaron Fox, Trimble's 14, Fox's 15. I could see any of the top 15 players on our list when we get to the end of the season if we made the list again with the same principles and not 
not assigning the same thing as all Americans, which is different. I could see any of them being number one. So I could still, I could theoretically see Hart becoming that kind of player. I love how you're throwing me under the bus here, but I, I'm not. Oh, he still, he's, like, he's still, he still has to become something. Like being the best player on the national champions wasn't good enough for you. Still needs to do a little more. Yeah. Okay. I would say that's that. That is true. And also, <laughs> listen, listen. Like I'm, I'm convinced this. Like Hart's going to be good. But I don't think Hart's going to win Player of the Year in the Big East. I think Edmund Sumner will do that. Ooh. I think I think Hart will be good, but he's going to. Ha- I think Bridges is going to be awesome. I think Brunson will be very good. I think Sumner is going to be a standout player with Blewett as a wingman on Xavier, and Xavier will be right there with Villanova, and he'll be pretty close. I'll also say this, Parrish. What I was a little surprised at was so I did the t- the one to three fifty one, got plenty of response and blowback on that. But it was not nearly as much as it was for the 101. Like, you know, fans of their teams, they get so involved. But it's they, they're so much more willing to come at you to defend their player's honor. Um, which player that we don't have ranked did your at mentions get the most pestering from? Mm, I honestly don't know. I, I, in the, on these types of lists, I don't mean to be dismissive, but here's the t- I, I, tr- I don't get involved in the arguments because it's so subjective. Here's the truth. I think the top 15 or 20 players have to be probably top 35 on everybody's list. Like whether you go look at you know the NBC list or anybody else who does a list, I think the top 15 guys on our list have to be in the top 30 of anybody's list. Uh, there's some clear cut have to be up there. You know, guys like... Um, like Grayson Allen and, and uh, Melo Trimble and, and Nigel Hayes. I'm just popping off the top of my head here. Um, I, I think there's obvi- – once you get to about 50, you could, you could reasonably rank the same guy you got 50th, 100, and vice versa. And, and so, like, it gets really, really subjective. So there is probably somebody out there we left off a list who could reasonably be in the 50s because I don't think there's much difference between the guys we have and I'm not looking at the list but anybody we have in the 50s they're not they're not much different than somebody we might have in the 90s it just comes down to you know what are you looking at pure ability are you projecting are you looking at numbers are you looking at team success like how you combine all that stuff but once you get out of the top 30 35 40 um, the list becomes almost interchangeable. At least that's my opinion. Do you disagree it's, with that? Uh, maybe a little bit because only because like, all right, for example, um, Parrish tossed me out of the bus. I'm going to do the same with him here. Like to me, Keelan Martin is a top 50 player. You didn't even have him until like the eighties. And then I insisted we bump him up. I would say there's a difference right now. We have Martin and like, 50 51 or whatever there's a big difference between him and say isaiah briscoe which we have i think 88 um except let me except this is where i think you run into problems sometimes i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just pointing this out what if isaiah briscoe played at butler i i know i know that that, i know what we we have that i feel like we have this conversation every year we have keelan at 63 um i know but the thing is i don't know if isaiah briscoe if he played a butler, if he would even be on the list, to be honest. I mean, maybe his shot was broken last year. I think he'll have a good year. I heard from so many Kentucky fans angry that we don't have Briscoe higher. Like that, not having Tyler Roberson from Syracuse on the list, Grayson Allen being the number one player, and having Briscoe so low have been the three most predominant complaints with our list. I'm open to Briscoe having a pretty solid year. Um, I just gotta, I gotta see it first, but I get your point. Absolutely. 
because um, you make it all the time. It's, you know, what if this really awesome player happened to play for a smaller school? You know, his numbers would therefore be affected in a bigger way and we might think more highly of him. I think there can be something to that, but I, I never look at it like that because I only look at the player within the context of the team he is on and 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 what I think he is right now as a, as a player. It's very fun. It's imperfect. And that's why I like it because it's imperfect. I like that we go back and forth every year. I like that we have these vast disagreements. I would have had Carlton Bragg, who I see Carlton Bragg, for example, wasn't wasn't great as a freshman. I I do put some predictive elements into it. I think he'll be awesome this year. Like I would have Bragg high 40s. He winds up at 62 because I know you weren't keen on him, which is good because it's not your list. It's not my list. It's our list. We try and blend both of these. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's really tough. You mentioned how they all kind of blend together at the back end. Couldn't agree with you more because honestly, every damn year when we do this and we get to about 85 or so, we have like 15 spots left to fill. And I've got like 35 names, which I understand, by the way, that a lot of people don't know these players. But I, I like I care about the list. I have fun doing it. And it's truly tough to knock off these dudes from getting on the list. Um and it's just never easy. This year felt tougher than normal. Uh, maybe it was just because you and I were doing it, but uh, but it was a ton of fun, and it should be pr- it should be plenty interesting. Um, we're going to be really right about some people that people think we're wrong about. We're going to be uh, perhaps wrong about some some other folks, which is also part of the fun. Uh, one guy I think we had too low, and he's not low. I think we have him at sixteen, but I think he could be he could end up being depending on how good his team is, like a, a first second team All American, Alec Peters. Yeah, he's awesome. He, he's awesome, and he balled out in the NIT last year. Because it was the NIT, people didn't pay attention. I didn't either, really. But like he got twenty six and nine against. Check out this NIT run: twenty six and nine against Florida State, twenty and eight against St. Mary's, fifteen and nine against BYU, fifteen and ten against George Washington. So he was playing his best basketball at the end of the year um, against quality competition. Like, you know, those were real basketball teams. Like, that St. Mary's team won, like, 29 games. Uh, GW was, like, in the NCAA tournament conversation for a while. Florida State was immensely talented. And he put up big numbers consistently all through that, uh, all the way to New York. And so there's no reason to think he's not going to post big numbers. Valpo, I, you know, obviously coaching change there, but he should be good. If his team is good enough, um, he's going to have the numbers. And I don't think there's any doubt he's a good enough college player to be – I think on my All-American teams, I think I, I made him a second-team All-American. I think he's terrific. He's just somebody that people haven't seen enough. Um, another guy looks like we might have too low, and I only say this today because last night he had 33 in an exhibition. <laughs> Miles Bridges, we've got him at number 26. That might be too low, huh? It might be. Yeah, and listen, it was an ex- exhibition. I actually wrote a piece on Michigan State on the site this week. Uh, Bridges is awesome. That team is going to look – way different from any Izzo Michigan State team we've ever seen just because they are so thin in the front court. Um, I was actually talking to one of the Michigan State coaches and they said, we're going to run something of a hybrid four guard offense probably a lot of the time. And that would include, even though Bridges is a physical specimen and, and he can play like a big, they would actually play Bridges as like this hybrid guard wing position. And they would consider him a guard in the setup they would run. And, Basically, they need to put Bridges in a position to flourish as much as possible, while Aaron Harris, who we also have on the list, needs to have a huge year, and he's really talented. I think he finally can for Michigan State. Bridges is awesome, though. I I maintain that Fultz 
Bridges and Dennis Smith Jr. will be the three freshmen. I know you would have Monk in there, but I, I would put Monk just a notch below. Um, they were the, to me; those are going to be the three most exciting. Like, okay, these guys are on TV. I, I want to watch them play right now. Um, but honestly, the freshman class is so loaded. Like, even someone like Jonathan Isaac, who's a little bit of a beanpole but super talented. He's at Florida State. I know FSU. You don't see a ton of them year in and year out. Uh, they should be a tournament team. He is awesome. A projected top 10 pick right now. Um, but Florida State also has talent on that team. And Dwayne Bacon, Xavier Rattan Mays, who are both on our list. I, honestly, like, I don't see this as being a down year for college basketball because, I mean, we get to... I mean, we have London Parantis at 39, who I don't think we underrate. Like, I would, I don't think London London Parantis, who by the way is rightfully in the conversation to be a first-team All ACC player, I would not put him as a top 35 talent in college basketball. And that's nothing against Parantis or Trayvon Blewett at 40. Um, these are really, really good players. I just happen to think that the talent this year is fairly stacked when you look at the top 40 or so. And so we should be in for a, for a pretty good year. The anti-Grayson Allen stuff, I just don't get, other than it's a white kid I from mean, Duke and people are just much. push against that. He, he's an awesome college basketball player. He he's ever, fantastic. Well, yes. and, and it's not like he's like a little scrappy kid who came out of I think sometimes people go, oh, you know, white guard from Duke, like what? Um, and they think of other white guards from Duke. He's six foot five. He's a terrific athlete. He averaged 21.6 points. And uh, 4.6 rebounds and 3.5 assists last season. Shot 47% from the field. Shot 42% from three-point range. He's going to be the best player on the preseason number one team. He's going to be the leading scorer. Let me rephrase. He's going to be the leading scorer for the preseason number one team. Like, I would say no. I I think he will be the best player. Like I think right. Well, now, like, I think it could be. I'm just saying, like you know, know you, know, you never know what Tatum, Jason Tatum's Tatum, gonna be. I know Tatum's the better prospect, but right now Grayson Allen is a better college basketball player than Jason Tatum. So that's why he's number one on our list because I just consider him to be the best player in college basketball right now. It angers people, GP, because it's a Duke guy. People think the media are obsessed with Duke. Which listen, if you're good, we're gonna write about you, and they're really, really good. And he is he has become a fantastic player. Yes, people hate him because he's a white guy at Duke, and he happened to trip some people, and he kind of looks like Ted Cruz. So it's like this perfect <laughs> stew of, of and that's fine. By the way. Like, it's good for the sport if people want to continue to hate Duke and now have actual athletes that they know by name uh, that they want to you know throw their passion at. But it's fairly undeniable that. In the most pessimistic view, you would have Allen top five as a college basketball talent. Yeah. Even if you're the, the biggest of haters, you couldn't deny what he's become. We, I mean, we disagreed on a lot of stuff throughout this list, but we didn't disagree on Grayson Allen's something we agreed on. Like, he should be number yeah. one. Now let's go uh, from there. If you haven't seen the list yet, you can find it at CBSSports.com. That's the top 101 uh, college basketball players. Um, Norlander and I did it. It's posted at CBSSports.com. You mentioned Jason Tatum. Scary deal for him earlier this week. Went down during Duke's pro day. Could have been bad. Um, the initial, I think, fear was that could be a fracture of some po- uh, of some kind. It turns out it was just a sprained foot. He's only going to be out two weeks, uh, but he could be available theoretically for the opener. It's not great news, obviously. You don't want anybody to get hurt, but um, – once he did go down, and it, it did seem scary, this is like the best possible news uh, that Duke and Jason Tatum could have received, right? Uh, yes, because, you know, there were the reports from the, from the scene of Duke's pro day. And remember, th- this whole thing happened when 
all the NBA scouts were in the house, and this was a new thing for Duke this year. And Krzyzewski saying, you know, we don't want scouts here every single practice. So it just happens to be in that 48-hour window where Duke allowed every single NBA personnel in to evaluate and Tatum goes down. Um, but it could have been worse. There, there's still, you know, Krzyzewski said he's going to ease Harry Giles back in, which we absolutely expect. Who knows how, how much he'll even be seen in the first month of the season, essentially. If you had lost Tatum for that time as well, um, you would... I, I think that Duke would be certainly a team with... They'd still have Emil they, Jefferson and, and Marquise Bolden. They, they still have a lot. Oh, yeah, we, I got a lot of blowback on not having Emil Jefferson on the list. By the way, Duke fans, your team has more players on our top 101 than any other team. So. In fairness to Emil Jefferson, I thought about him. Like I know I, I know he didn't play the full season last year, but he was averaging a double-double, like right around a double. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He's good. <laughs> like, I think he's really, really good. Uh, but, at, but at a certain point... Let me you ask know. you a question, seriously. Uh, who do you hate more, Josh Hart or Emil Jefferson? Uh, let's, uh, who, I, I would say Emil Jefferson by the pure fact that I ranked Josh Hart in the top 15 and I didn't rank Emil Jefferson in the top 115. What's so. more wrong, not ranking Josh Hart in the top five or not ranking Emil Jefferson at all? I'm going to circle back to Tatum in just a second, but we are, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to call out Parrish here and, and, uh, see, see, I wanted to put a certain player on a list and Parrish lost his mind over this guy. And then subsequently was basically told by multiple people that, sorry, that dude is certainly a top 100 player. No, nobody uh, said certainly. Literally nobody certainly. on the planet said certainly. You can bring it up if you certainly. want to. So, the, listen, the, only reason, the, the only reason I hesitate to bring it up is because it feels like you're, I'm, I'm being mean to a college yeah, yeah, kid. Yeah, which is fine. So we and, won't mention the player's name. Okay. We won't mention the player's name. Uh, and, and less than until the player proves to be freaking awesome – this year and then i'll own it i I own it i just don't want like i got i take no joy in like saying yeah yeah that's the other thing saying this 19 year old actually sucks is not as good as anybody thinks like that's not fun the the emails uh people could read uh would be funny but it's certainly not appropriate for public consumption because this thing gets heated um as for tatum uh him only having a, a mild foot injury is certainly big let's just hope it's that by the way because you never know um if, if something small like this or seemingly small lingers, you know, Duke fans certainly probably had a brief flashback to Kyrie Irving when he had a foot injury. These aren't, you know, it's not the same thing, but but certainly with, with Kyrie, he, you know, he was basically had a cup of coffee at Duke. He was barely on the floor, and it was kind of a wasted season for what he could have been. Look how awesome he's become at the NBA level. Tatum, you hope, you know, because we want to see him on the floor. We want to see the best players possible. And, uh, if he can just be good enough in time for the start of the season or at worst, you know, good enough for the Champions Classic, that would be big. But, yeah, that was potentially a huge, huge story. Uh, and it seems that, you know, minor sprain, he should be good to go in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's it's great news, all things considered, uh, because, you know, I, I know that the people around that program, they were worried when he went down. Like, you, they, they were – I don't know. I don't know that they were expecting the worst, but they were – worried about the worst and the idea that it comes back just to sprain only out two weeks that's a a big development for duke it looks like he could be on the court um to start the regular season uh if not then shortly thereafter but you know anytime you've got a preseason number one team you want to see them at full strength and we know they're not going to be that um initially because harry giles presumably won't be in you might be in uniform but won't be on the court but you just hope that you know, really by February or so, um, they're operating at the level that they ought to be operating at because it really is a, a, a uniquely loaded roster. Like there are teams every year that are loaded. This is a next, this is, 
I'm not comparing the two, but you know how 2000, what was it, 15 Kentucky was loaded, 2014-15. Yeah, that's Carl Anthony I mean, Towns here. The way, when they start 38-0, yes. that team was loaded. Um, the 2012 Kentucky team loaded. This feels like on like on that level. Like they, they, this is a uniquely talented college basketball roster, and you'd hate the you just for the sport if we never got to see it at its best. Yeah, no, I I agree. Duke is I, to me there's a separation right now before we see a game, even between Duke and Kentucky, because Duke has the added benefit of Grayson, Emil Jefferson, even Matt Jones, who's a really you know functional good role player. I think Luke Kennard's going to have a just monster sophomore year personally i think well, you go back and look at what he did he sort of got overshadowed last year but yes, like he did go look at what he like go look at his numbers the numbers are good they are and they should be even better this year so i mean to me there's a line even between duke and kentucky right now i think kentucky will grow into i mean calipari expects them to be the best defensive team in the country by the time they get to league play i think there's a lot to that i could very much see that but you know kentucky oregon kansas Villanova certainly Xavier I think they're all right there just a notch below Duke a healthy Duke I would say uh before we get out of here I do want to talk a little bit about a story I wrote yesterday about a kid that uh, I think even uh people who consider themselves college basketball fans might not be aware of his name's Mike Dom plays at South Dakota State and it's a fascinating story I didn't really know it until I started asking questions um, I knew he posted big per minute numbers last year. I don't think I recognize exactly how big they were, uh, because what they were were best in the country, better than Buddy Hill, better than everybody. Um, but he redshirted. He was a redshirt freshman last year. Came off the bench. He only started two games for South Dakota State, and the only reason he started those two games is because uh, other players were injured, so they pushed him into the starting lineup. Um, but he redshirted, and so. I was asking like, one one of the coaches there. I said, "Well, like, why why did he redshirt? Was he, like injured or something?" Like they were like, "No, no, no, they didn't think he was good enough to play." And I'm like, "What?" So here's the story: six nine kid from rural Nebraska, like near the Nebraska Wyoming border. Uh, the the population of his hometown is like fewer than three thousand people, and so he's playing basketball in high school and obviously doing well but like you know it's almost like a tree falls in the woods nobody's around to hear it did it really you know it's just like nobody even knows who he is basically um playing out in the las vegas classic which is a tournament you and i attend every year in uh, las vegas but there's a million games going on at all times so he's in like an auxiliary gym which is like you know one of the side it's not the premier courts that the best prospects are playing on but Taco Fall, the seven foot six kid who's at Central Florida, it happens to be playing against him. Just coincidentally, randomly, they they're matched in pull play against Taco Fall's team. So there are some Division One coaches who happen to be in the gym, and Mike Dom knocks down twelve three pointers, six foot nine, knocks down twelve three pointers in this AAU game. And so the South Dakota State coaches, they're not there to see him, but they're there, so they see him. And they're like, whoa, 6'9 kid? And they just knocked down 12 three-pointers? Like, what's his story? They find out, like, basically no Division One schools are recruiting him at all. So they get him in on a visit. He commits, like, almost immediately. And, you know, then they enroll him and get him on campus. When they get him on campus, he can't play. Like, they're like, oh, wow, we messed up. We, were, we saw a kid hit 12 three-pointers in a game. And... We, we reached a little bit. We had an extra scholarship. We, we, we spent it on him, but it, it, he's not going to be able to play here. So they redshirted him. 
in that red shirt year, getting killed every day in practice, just not good. They start to go, it's not a matter of when he's going to be able to play here. Like, you think he can play by his junior year, maybe his senior year? It's like, he, like is he going to be able to play here ever? And not only did his coaches think that, Mike thought that as well. He was like, I was just getting ready to, wow, maybe this is just too much for me. I'm not good enough to be here. I might have to just accept my role, whatever that is. And then something just clicked. And he was in off-season workouts and preseason workouts before last year, like really, really good. And so they go, okay, like we'll, we'll bring him off the bench. Like maybe he can be in our rotation. So he comes in the first game and gets like 17 points off the bench in barely any minutes. And he ends up averaging 15.2 points, uh, 6.1 rebounds in only 20.8 minutes per game. So his per 40-minute average was 29.3 points and 11.7 rebounds. The 29.3 points, as far as I can tell, lead, led the nation the entire nation division one basketball last year because buddy hill was 28 point something um there was one other person who was like 29.1 uh but mike dom was 29.3 points per 40 minutes which i believe to be ranked number one in the country and so now he goes from being a totally off the radar recruit to getting on campus at south dakota state being redshirted as a freshman because they don't think he can play and a year later he is the preseason Summit League Player of the Year after last year being named first team All-League and being the sixth man of the year. Uh, he's on our list of top 101 college basketball players in the country and on at least on the radars of NBA franchises because, again, he's a 6'9 forward who last season shot 44.6% from three-point range. Can you think of other stories like that, like where a guy is completely off the radar and – a year later, he's a preseason conference player of the year. That fast, like it does. It does happen. Like Frank, like, Kam- okay, for, for example, like Frank Kaminsky Kam- came out of nowhere to be awesome. Fra- but like, like, but that was by his junior year. Yes, um, correct. It uh, wasn't so soon. Scotty Wilbekin. Scotty Wilbekin's another example. Total like a zero star recruit coming out of high school. Went to Florida. Yeah, I mean, you get that. You get that occasionally uh, at the major conference level, but you usually don't get a player in one year that that has that fast of a turn in a single year the interesting thing with dom is he will be with the new coaching staff this year as opposed to who he had last year because uh scott nagy went to wright state right now tj Alselberger is coaching the, the jackrabbits um so i would think that tj is going to set him up to certainly thrive and succeed again uh coaches in that league certainly respect uh dom's ability overall that's a really good program as well um that's just the one element in play there. But it is an unusual story. It is cool. I mean, South Dakota State now, I mean, if Dom is able to have some success here, they will be the rare program that, you, you know, you could – listen, this was a D2 program, I believe, or NAIA. I can't remember. I think D2. Um, as recently as like a decade ago, and now it could have two players drafted within a five-year period because Nate Walters came out of there as well. And shout out to Nate Walters. Shout out every single day to Nate Walters. Shout out to Devin Downey. Certainly, absolutely. And so, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge play in recruiting when you're at a school like South Dakota State, which is certainly, I mean, with a lot of these schools, once you get beyond the power schools or whatever, you are, uh, I remember one coach once told me, you know, when recruiting kids, um, you're just you're you're trying to get them to say yes as early as possible and trying to 
to keep as many things out of their purview that would make them want to go somewhere else. Because a lot of these, like certainly there are kids that will get to that level and they want to play at a South Dakota State or any sort of, you know, Summit League, you name the conference, you know, Big South, whatever. Um, but a lot of players that end up going to these schools uh, were disillusioned maybe as 14 or 15 year olds and thought they'd be able to play at a major conference and said they don't. They end up going to these schools and initially they might have, you know, delusions of grandeur, you know, all right, fine, like whatever, I'll show, I'll show them, I'll ball out, I'll transfer after two years and go to a, a bigger program. I think that's an element that a lot of coaches at that level have to deal with. Oh, uh, like Dom got recruited this offseason, particularly when the coaching change went down because suddenly you've got this guy who's the best per 40-minute scorer in America. He doesn't have a coach for like a week. Um, I was told there were high major programs coming after him trying to get him to leave, and he – you know, T.J. Otzelberger, who's the new head coach, like one of the things he wanted to find out when he interviewed for that job, when, you know, before he accepted that job, and in fairness, he'd have probably accepted no matter what, but like the number one priority wasn't how much am I making? It was, is Mike Dom staying? Are you going to yeah. be here? And they committed to him, and uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a piece to inherit. I mean, you, you Without know. a doubt. Yeah. And that kind of stuff matters when you're now, because if he can get serious NBA looks, you know, that's just simply the, something that most other schools, like Eastern Washington is another school like that. Uh, Joie and uh, oh, I'm blanking on the other one. Kevin Tyler, Tyler Harvey, Kevin Harvey, I'm blanking on the name, but like a couple years back, also went to the NBA. So not, a lot of schools don't have that kind of recruiting pitch, and it's certainly huge. It's a good story. Everyone should check it out. Uh, GP wrote that and uh, also had an interesting story. On the world of, of agents as well, and uh, so he had a couple of good pieces up there. We had we have plenty of stuff on dot com or CBS Sports app. I mean, we have been overloaded with a lot of really good stuff, preview stuff, and next week we have so much league, major conference preview. You won't even know what to do with yourself. So if you're excited for the start of the season, and I'm so ready for it to be here, uh, we will have plenty for you to divulge and, and get into because uh, some good stuff is coming next week. So. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening. The season is almost here. We're going to talk to you again next week. Until then, take care.